Welcome to the Quantum Alignment Q&A, where we traverse through an array of healing modalities to educate, empower, and excite our listeners on their path of holistic health and wellness. In sharing various practitioners' experiences and insight, we hope to cultivate a deeper relationship between one's true self, the mental, physical, spiritual, and emotional bodies. And now, join naturopath, transpersonal psychologist, and cannabis therapy consultant, Dr. Pepper Hernandez. Welcome, and thank you so much for taking time to be present with us today. Our intention for this podcast is for each and every one of us to get one step closer to the highest version of our aligned self each and every day, the mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual self. Today, we have a guest, Dr. Christy Biggs. She is a UCLA-trained board-certified vascular surgeon who has been a self-employed small business owner since 2012. We're excited to have her and hear all of the jewels that she has to share with us. Hi, Dr. Biggs. I am so much a fan of yours. Well, thank you, Pepper. I'm glad to be here, too. I'm a big fan of yours too. I know that we bonded over making brownies and I'm going to need the adjusted recipe for the high altitude baking that we do here in New Mexico. Wink, wink. Is that the first time we connected? Because <laughs> I know that we've been tuned in for quite some time and we just kind of comment on one another and, and the things that we're doing in life and we support each other. But I didn't realize it was over brownies in the beginning. So were they medicinal? Yes, they were. They yeah. were. Okay. <laughs> I think that I was uh, I was clarifying about uh, the decarbing process uh, okay. to activate the plant medicine within the cannabis. Yes. Uh, Hopefully I gave you good information there. You did. I was so impressed with all of the publications that you've been a part of. And I really applaud what you're doing with educating others about how to speak to individuals that can benefit from plant medicine. And I think that this is an unmet need within our community. I think you're doing wonderful work, and I'm just so grateful to be part of your show. Thank you. That is very kind of you. I appreciate all of those words. I don't take that lightly, so I appreciate you. Thank you so much. Well, why don't you tell our listening audience exactly what it is that you do in the world of healing? That's a great question because I think that I was doing too many things and I received some fantastic advice. It actually came from Dr. Dustin Sulak. He told me this whenever I traveled to go see him and learn from him in a clinical training program. And we were going around and introducing ourselves, and I was sharing a little bit about my journey thus far. And he sat back 
and paused for a moment. And I don't know if it was right after that or sometime later, but he gave me the advice that instead of being like the sun, he said to be more like an arrow. And I reflected upon what he said to me, and I realized that I was really doing too many different things and trying to do all of them perfectly simultaneously. And that is the recipe for disaster because it puts tremendous stress and strain on the system, on the body system. And he caused me to focus on that which is most important to me. And unfortunately, I had to go through a period of some growing pains because like I said, I was doing too many things simultaneously. And it's certainly a process to shut things down such that you can then move in the direction in which you wanna proceed. And um, to be a, a little bit more concrete about it, I am trained as a board certified vascular surgeon. And what that entailed was uh, four years of medical school. I did six years of general surgery training, including one year of animal research. That was a story in and of itself. Then I spent two years at UCLA training to be a vascular surgeon. And so there was a time, uh, my first position out of training was actually at the University of New Mexico Hospital. And I was an attending vascular surgeon there for four years. And I had a number of roles. I taught surgical residents how to operate. Um, I operated myself on a number of patients. And then I also educated the residents, helping them to perform academically on qualifying examinations. And I enjoyed those roles that I was on call every other night my first year out of training. And though I had tried to best educate myself and learn from the vascular surgery giants, there's always that element of feeling somewhat unprepared for what you're going to walk into or receive when you go into the hospital and you carry a call pager. And so, you know, my relationship with this pager was actually incredibly traumatic, and I, I caused my whole life to revolve around it. I would, um, you know, uh, avoid certain social activities and whatnot because of this fear of it detonating <laughs> and causing me to have to go up to the hospital. And then the funny thing is, is that I never knew what was going to be on the other end of the call. And sometimes it was nothing you know, and that was the best because then I could just go home and go back to sleep because the calls came at all times of the night. But, you know, the worst was when they had underestimated the severity of the problem. And then I walked into it and there were actually situations where, you know, these were the sickest individuals of all, you know, the people that were told that they wouldn't survive an operation, that, you know, they should just basically hope for the best with the outcome of their enlarging juxtarenal aneurysm. But then, you know, when it ruptures in the winter, as sometimes it happens with the changes in the barometric pressure, and then that patient is airlifted to you, and their blood pressure is 70 over palp, and they are ashen in front of you, and that patient's wife is looking at you in their eyes and saying, you know, please do everything that you can for my husband. And it was really uh, terrifying to me. And although I trained with, you know, like I said, the vascular surgery giants, you're a little bit up against yourself when you're in the operating room. 
And what I realized was that my life was kind of passing by me. And although I met my husband the old-fashioned way on internet dating website, and uh, he didn't kill me in the wilderness whenever we went <laughs> off on our first date and cut me into little pieces. And I had tremendous trust in this man because I was going to embrace that. I was on all the dating websites simultaneously. I wanted to find a mate. And uh, I think I was successful in doing that. And uh, yeah, I got married. And then I was hell bent on getting pregnant. Uh, we conceived our first, Carter's 10 now. And I was an older mom, you know, because I put all of this off in life. And Carter was healthy, you know, healthy boy, but he was nine pounds, four ounces. Oh my God, that kid was so huge. And I, I don't want to tell you the labor horror stories, but you know, you have to imagine I was the vascular surgeon in the hospital on call, getting called for people's mistakes, for their poor choices, usually under influence of a substance. Like for example, why would you want to joust on ATVs? I don't know, but you know, that can end up with your arms <laughs> ripped off. I shouldn't laugh, but we would try our best to be able to help people, you know, with these accidents. And we were, we were always told, I mean, this was the creed of the surgeons, you know, was to do the right thing. And, you know, I rest easy and peaceful knowing that I always put the patients first, but what was wrong about my experience was that I put myself last. And actually there's, there's kind of like a badge of honor with surgeons, you know, like if you get sick, you just push through it, you know? And I think about those poor healthcare workers that, you know, were struggling through the pandemic and what their experience has been like, because there really isn't a lot of residual time to be able to meet your own needs. And so I guess in some there, I was pregnant with my son, still working uh, in the hospital, taking call. A uh, number of our operations were hybrid procedures, meaning that we used to fillet people open to be able to do our work. But we found out that making surgery more minimally invasive, you know, was really helpful to people because it allowed them to recuperate faster and get out of the hospital because the hospital can unfortunately contribute to making you more ill. So we had these endovascular procedures and on the back table, I used to sew these fabric Dacron grafts and we would reroute the circulation and then that would enable us to subsequently take these endographs, which were compressed down on a delivery system. And then you can use these things to reline blood vessels. And so, you know, we would essentially move the uh, circulation down south and then go back in and put in these endographs. And so, you know, it's phenomenal what this kind of surgery could do. I brought some of the technology to UCLA and my senior partners I'm so blessed that they supported me because I, I couldn't have done it without them. I really couldn't have. But, you know, there were cases that even under the best, most meticulous controlled circumstances, we would lose people. And I lost people in the OR, you know, on the table. And it's devastating to feel, you know, as if there's something you could have done to be able to have prevented that. I, I've always taken the honor of operating on people incredibly seriously and solemnly. People have prayed over me before operations, and I've always welcomed their prayers. But having to tell a family member that, you know, their loved one has passed is an awful 
task. And actually, when I was an intern, this was one of the first things that they made me do is to tell trauma victims, families that, you know, even adolescents had been lost because of motor vehicle collisions and other terrible things. It's, it's hard. I can only imagine. So, Dr. Biggs, how did you get into this field of work? What was your direction prior to, you know, this 10, 12 years of education? What drove you to want to become a vascular surgeon specifically? And then I'll ask you a few more questions about what you're doing currently. But what was the pathway there? Well, I mean, my earliest recollection was that I think in fifth grade, they made you plot out your entire lifetime, you know, where you were going to be career-wise and whatnot. And I, I think that I'm supposed to be a Supreme Court justice at this point, but I guess I deviated from that plan. And yeah. uh, <laughs> I'm supposed to be a stockbroker um, if we went through that plan. I did it in the eighth grade, but yeah, I understand what you're saying. I liked science whenever I was going through school. I liked biology. But then I have this other side to me, this creative side, where I was encouraged to pursue music and, you know, some of the performing arts, dance and whatnot. And so I think whenever I thought about it, actually the event that preceded me applying to college and writing my college entrance essay, I had witnessed someone have an automobile accident on the road and uh, I, I saw it happen in an intersection and it, it was traumatic to visualize. I didn't know what to do. Just happened right before me and I had actually already proceeded through the intersection and was seeing it in my rearview mirror and uh, I was a teenager. I drove home. I don't know. I guess as I was processing all of that and seeing the accident, I questioned to myself why I didn't stop to help those people or to see if they're okay. And part of the issue was that I was late. You know, I had to get home. I had a curfew, but I was afraid. I, I didn't want to stop because I didn't know what I would see. And I was afraid that I would see injured individuals. And honestly, I'm going to blame driver's ed for this. The whole production about the drunken driving and the corsage on the seat for prom and blood all over it and everything, that imagery still sticks with me. But, you know, I, I was afraid of what I would see in this accident, so I didn't stop. I didn't turn around and go back. And then I scanned the news the next day trying to see what had happened. And I, I felt horrible about that. And as I processed it, I realized that part of it was fear and part of it was lack of education. And I felt that if I went to school and learned things, I would be able to help people and not have to run away from them, I mean, in their times of need. So I think that that was one of the reasons why I turned to medical school. I had actually had a little job when I was a college student at the medical school, at which I ended up attending. I went there just to go do a little research fellowship, and we were working on rat pheochromocytoma cells and these uh, treated norepinephrine. It was basically looking at this adrenergic uptake stuff that's not relevant to this podcast, but it did involve <laughs> radiation. And I'll tell you, at some point, I was a distracted college student. I was thinking about something and I wasn't looking at what I did. And I poured the Petri dish like the wrong way. And I had a little radiation spill, which did cause a problem, a small one, but they, they cleaned it up. 
And uh, what I learned from that was that although I really like science and I liked the individuals working in this pharmacology lab, I desired wanting to interact with humans. I see myself as a people person. I like talking with people. And um, since I've been told that I was good with my hands, that's what kind of started me down the path of surgery. But I'll tell you, surgery also offers this seemingly instant gratification of fixing someone and high fives all around like we've cured the disease. But my functional medicine training has really taught me that it's not that simple. I agree with you. It is not that simple. We are so grateful to have people like you who have trained and are there for the public in that way. When we come back from our break, we'll be talking with Dr. Biggs about what people in the community come for her now after her even more in-depth training in holistic health and wellness as far as what she plans to do uh, for self-care. We are going to be right back. We're going to get a little word from a business that I love so very much that I think that you will too. Stay with us. Ever dream of becoming a cannabis therapy consultant or learning more on how cannabis heals? For a deeper understanding of your own body and mind connection using sacred medicine, take time to dive into classes anytime, anywhere with a new online program. For more information, connect on drpepperhernandez.com. This is a 10-month program, one class a month. The Cannabis Holistic Institute provides the most potent teachers Humboldt County has to offer. Students have access to Google Classrooms for downloadable handouts, charts, PowerPoint presentations, and more. Also, a live streaming on Facebook, bonus pop-up classes, gifted info, and edited videos available on YouTube. Classes from History of Cannabis, The Biology of Cannabis, Specific Strains and Effects, Cannabis Healing Properties, Juicing, Edibles, and Tinctures, Cultivation and Production, Cannabis Medicine Making, Women in Cannabis Conference, Legalities and Legislations, The Cannabis Business, and more. Thank you so much for returning. We are excited to have Dr. Biggs here to share some valuable information on the way she's really transitioned as a healer in so many different modalities. Dr. Biggs, let's talk about that. Let's talk about moving forward and coming into the holistic side of things. You kind of touched on it before break, but how did you go from being a vascular surgeon in in the depths of 
you know, despair and, and seeing people pass away. And that's how I found you was in the holistic health influencer area. What was the big leap? How did that happen for you? Well, once you develop these very specialized skill sets within vascular surgery, you know, although that can earn you great positions within hospital systems, it's really difficult to be able to have a career option in, in outpatient practice unless you do endovenous work. And what that is, is it entails, you know, inserting this laser fiber into um, an individual's faulty leg vein to be able to apply heat to it and cause it to close. And then this is helpful in the treatment of varicose veins. And so um, I've been performing this procedure in my private practice outpatient clinic um, ever since I've opened it. And that was back in 2012. So I guess we're looking at 10 years now being in private practice. And initially, I had a non-compete agreement with the hospital. And so um, I was living in Albuquerque at the time, but my husband, the, the one I met on the internet, um, <laughs> he lives in, uh, in Los Alamos. And so uh, I had actually had the baby and I was somehow trying to commute and all the, it was just a big mess. And so after much reflection and honestly, my father who has a master's in business administration he gave me the crash course in business so that I didn't have to go to school and learn all of that stuff, which was great. Um, I also had another advantage, which was um, my senior partners had encouraged me to take over the outpatient vein center through the university hospital. And so I learned a tremendous amount of information about how to run a business from that experience. And so I'm grateful to them. Um, but yes, I decided to break away whenever I found out that it wasn't an option to not take call. The chairman told me that that was not something I could do. So I started my own business and my dad helped me to uh, formulate these performas. I took them to the bank, convinced them to lend me a lot of money. And there I was. But with my non-compete, I also secured two great people that joined me and trusted me because uh, it was kind of shady. I interviewed them like in an office complex. I didn't even have an office at that point. And then when I did have an office, there was no furniture in it. And so uh, <laughs> they just joined me and trusted me. And uh, we were doing outpatient vein work and I was billing that to insurance. I had to learn how to do all of that. And yeah, that was working out okay for a while. And then also I tried to incorporate some aesthetics into the practice um, myself. I do some cosmetic work whenever I treat, well, I did treat spider veins, uh, spider telangiectasias on the legs to be able to improve the appearance of the legs. And I also ended up training with a general surgeon in North Carolina who helped me to understand how to administer Botox and dermal filler as part of my outpatient aesthetics practice. And so initially I did those things. And then uh, the fast forwarded version is that I had an opportunity to purchase my competitor's medical spa in 2015. I did that. My team grew at that time. And we bought more stuff and had more equipment and more services, which was really wonderful. But again, you know, having just done the crash course in business, I had to do a lot of 
I'll call it my residency in business, um, you know, this on the job learning, working with a team of women. And so that was really eye opening for me. I uh, tried, to, well, what happened was the patients were coming into the practice and they were saying, I look better with the Botox and the filler, but I don't feel any better. And I began to realize that sometimes people seeking cosmetic treatments are trying to heal something on the inside that hasn't been addressed. And so the patients were asking me about hormones. I knew nothing about hormones. And so I was compelled to find out about functional medicine. And I sat in the first conference, I felt really uncomfortable because I knew I was the only surgeon there. Everybody else was in primary care. And, you know, they're so welcoming, the functional medicine group, and they really put an emphasis on education. And I think a very honest and balanced approach to what's going on in the world today as well, which I very much appreciate. So I was so inspired by this and uh, the medical spa afforded me the revenue to be able to sign up for all of the courses. And uh, it, it wasn't inexpensive. I think it was a $10,000 commitment to my education, but I'm grateful for that. And I think like I was mentioning at some point, um, I went to the 2019 annual international conference in San Antonio and the focus of the conference was about stress, pain and addiction. And these topics really resonated with me. Um, I feel like I've been subjected to chronic stress throughout my entire professional life. And uh, I have a emotional trauma as well that I'm trying to heal from. In any case, the, the, the topics were fascinating. He talked about the endocannabinoid system. I had no idea that was even in the body. So this was just eye-opening and I was incredibly inspired. I had a wonderful experience, but when I returned, I came back to the same problems I think that I was trying to escape from with my travels in 2019, which was I lacked a, a solid team at my office. And going through a pandemic as a small business owner of a medical spa with individuals that are not aligned in your vision <laughs> doesn't end up working out. I'll just tell you that. So I lost a lot of people last year and um, the stress became manifested in my body or it just came out. I began to lose my hair. I lost 30 pounds, but also great things came out of this because I have the tools to know how to heal myself. And so this was a great opportunity because what better calling card to leave than someone who actually walks the walk and talks the talk. And so this is what I feel like I should be doing is helping other individuals with what I know about healing of chronic stress and emotional trauma. I love your journey. There's so much there that we could dive into each and every piece of that. Let's share with the audience exactly what you're doing now, those daily rituals that you have set up for yourself for self-care. Thank you. Well, I'm still evolving at this point and open to new ideas. I start my day with meditation. Um, I've had a practice through the Calm app. I think it's fantastic. And so I really like data and tracking things too. And so it, you know, it, it reinforces my behavior and tells me how many days I've been doing it and everything. And then you know, I post it to Instagram and then I like that too. So it really centers me and I'm turning to that now to be able to find peace and balance in my life, especially with all of the changes that the pandemic has brought about. 
But after the meditation practice, I get ready in the morning. I'm not really very timely about that. I'm trying to work on it. And I think it's probably because I'm not going to bed on time. And I'm going to need to take an honest look about getting adequate sleep once again and making sure that that's a priority. I think that sleep is just so protective for cognitive function and important to all of us. And if we can make an impact in sleep and get our patients sleeping better, you know, that's the first step in wellness, this journey to wellness. But um, besides the getting ready, you know, I go to the office and it's usually a lot of things going on now. I'm actually trying to close my varicose vein practice. And although I have a number of professional interests and talents, I've decided to focus them and uh, it kind of helps that they're going to cut my reimbursement, you know, with Medicare by like 25%. So um, I've just decided to completely say goodbye to vascular surgery. And I will be closing my health insurance contracts later this month when I finish my last case. And after some thought and consideration, I plan to reopen my functional medicine practice as a certified functional medicine doctor. And then with this additional training in cannabis, I hope to help anyone that, that would like assistance and better understanding how they can use cannabis to be able to get the best medicinal result. What I also wanted to say was, yeah, I think that the heart math is going to be an important part of my offerings. I think that supplements are also important. I still struggle with them myself because I, I don't really enjoy taking pills and swallowing pills. Uh, I like to kind of dissolve my vitamins and stuff in water, but um, I will be offering some of those things to individuals, but I want to really put some thought into this because when I opened the practice in the past and saw functional medicine patients, they came to me with so much trauma. And when they told me their story, getting to the root cause, it would turn into like a three-hour conversation with people. And we would both end up crying through the whole thing because I lacked the knowledge about myself that I was not very adept at setting boundaries with individuals. And yeah, so that becomes very draining then emotionally. If you're going to do this type of work, you know, you have to learn how to, to, to suffer with that patient and show compassion. That is the meaning of the word to suffer with them, but yet remain somewhat distant so that you're not wrapped up in all of it. I think there is, there's a happy medium where, you know, you can achieve that. And so I would just love to have the honor of working with people that think that I could help them to be more functional and more resilient after having suffered tremendous trauma. And what I'm speaking of, to kind of draw it to a conclusion, is that I just had the opportunity to return from vacation. First vacation in a couple of years, I went back to go see my family uh, in Texas um, haven't seen them since 2019, you know, aside from FaceTime. And it was, it was a wonderful moment, but also sad because my mother had fallen and sadly had the experience of having surgery with no support at the time of the operation. Um, my sister-in-law did end up managing to sneak in and see her afterward, but she had physical therapy and did everything that she could, but finally going back and seeing my family, um, I realized that my mom 
has continued to suffer um, with her mobility. She's not as mobile as before and just talking with her too, although I talk with her on a daily basis, finally sitting with her, I feel that um, I've just recognized that she's not going to be here forever. I mean, she was, she's been verbally making comments about what to do with her physical remains and her estate. And although she's done that for years, um, there was something just about sitting with my mom and looking in her eyes that told me, you know, life is, it's not guaranteed. It's, it's fragile. It's impermanent. And so I'm, I'm trying to learn from all of her wisdom, you know, before she moves on and, um, I've become increasingly interested in ways that we can talk and share about our lives together before she passes. And I've needed to work through some of these really strong emotions with my therapist. And so when I got off the plane, although I feel like I've made a lot of great strides and, you know, sometimes family meetings can get a little bit emotionally charged. And in the past, you know, I've turned to alcohol as a coping mechanism to be able to take the edge off. I don't think those are good coping mechanisms. And, you know, aside from good communication with your family, I am interested in the potential of some plant medicines to be able to lower these psychological barriers to be able to have honest conversations with people um, and maybe heal some of this, you know, emotional trauma uh, in this lifetime. So yeah, I'm open-minded to these things. Uh, and um, I'm interested in exploring these topics more. And I feel really called to help people that have been hurting, you know, people that have broken hearts and want to heal from that trauma. That's what I'm going to be here to offer. Thank you so much for being so vulnerable and open today. I really appreciate everything that you're doing for the community. For those of us who would like to reach out to you, what's the best platform? You know, I'm really uh, active on Instagram. My Instagram account is the Fun Med Doc and Santa Fe Fun Med, short for Santa Fe Functional Medicine is uh, going to be where I'll post information about the functional medicine offerings. And then I also have uh, that aesthetics practice, but what may be of interest is that I feel that uh, CBD's healing potential in dermatologic skin conditions will be something that we're gonna focus on, uh, helping people with psoriasis and eczema and maybe some pre-malignant skin conditions. Um, with topical cannabinoid products that we're planning on compounding and offering from the office. So there's going to be big things on the horizon for the practice, but um, I need to give some thoughtful consideration into the reopening of the practice before it's formally announced. And uh, if you want to stay up to date, yeah, at Santa Fe Fun Med, is the best uh, functional medicine platform there. And, but the fun med doc is where I'm at right now. Okay. Thank you so much for making time to be on the show today. I really do appreciate you. I'm so glad to connect finally after all this time. Thank you, Dr. Pepper. Absolutely. And thanks for helping us get one step closer to our highest self, the mental, physical, spiritual, and emotional bodies. 
and to the audience, thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Dr. Pepper Hernandez. Thank you for listening and let's make this your very best life ever. See you.